once again to the Perimeter Church podcast. In March of 1944, 76 prisoners escaped from a German POW camp in what we now know as the Great Escape. According to scripture, we're all held captive to sin and there will be no Great Escape. Instead, God sent a rescuer and our rescuer is always guaranteed to succeed. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Great Rescue, with this message entitled Guidance from a Wonderful Counselor, which covers Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Thank you for joining us today. Well, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, I know that there were a lot of want lists that were being created. Uh, I know that there were hints being dropped all along the way. Uh, I'm sure that there were even prayers being offered that some of those things would be delivered as they would want. Uh, and probably even some begging uh, began to be employed along the way. But, uh, but uh, a lot of want lists because that's what Christmas has become a lot about. Uh, in doing so, I'm sure that all of us, maybe not in a written way, but all of us have our, our want lists the things that are, are most important to us. I would imagine most things that we want most in reality are not material. They're probably more immaterial. If we were to ask, what is your list of things you want? Things that you want more than anything else. Now, maybe at first glance we might throw out something that uh, may not be that important. But if we gave it much time, I would imagine that somewhere along the line, some of those things we talked about in Christmas Eve, if you were here, would come up on our want list. Uh, we talked about things such as guidance. We talked about strength. Uh, we talked about security. We talked about peace. I bet you in some form or fashion, all of those would be wants for all of us, and maybe one or two of them would crop up on our most wanted list. Because if you think about it, all of those are critically, critically important to us. In the Christmas Eve time, we launched the series. I did a devotional teaching out of Isaiah chapter 9, and I mentioned then that I would use that to launch a series, which is what we're going to do. Uh, the series will actually be a four-part series. I thought it would be three initially, but uh, uh, we're going to go a little bit further into the first that I was just kind of introducing during the Christmas Eve service. But if you were not here at the Christmas Eve service, know this, that I, I introduced the devotional teaching with a prevaricating story, and then I later came back to describe that the word prevaricating means untrue. Now, I told it as a true story, and it was me getting, as a little kid, caught in quicksand, and there was no way to get out. I tried to come up with a scenario that I could not imagine any human way to get out of the predicament of being in the quicksand. It was then that I called the kids up. Chase was up here during that time saying, how do you think, how do you think I got out? Assuming at that time it was a true story, and they couldn't come up with any answer that made sense. I don't think anybody could. And then I later revealed that it was an analogous story to talk about the condition that all of us are in, in mankind, 
and that we're in sin and we are stuck in our sin and you cannot come up with any human means, I mean nothing, to get out of the predicament. It's going to take a divine rescue. It was at that time that we introduced those four key words that we were just talking about. We talked about the importance of having guidance. I used a hand motion like this to help the kids remember guidance. And then we talked about strength, how we need strength. And then we talked about security. I crossed my arms like this, and then, then I put my hands like this on the head and said, here's peace. And we all tried to think about those four things and say, okay, how do we get those things? Where do they come from? Well, the answer is really given in a prophecy. It's a prophecy made literally 700 years before the coming of Jesus, and it's the text that we always use at Christmas time. It's Isaiah chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn there. I'm going to go ahead now and read verse 6, but I'm going to come back and put it in its full context. But let's put up, let's put up just verse 6 here for a moment, and it reads like this. For a child will be born to us. We know this is Jesus. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called, and here are the four names that are given, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, in doing that, I suggested, and I still do suggest to all, that you show me somebody who lives in those four environments if they're convinced those four environments are theirs to live in and they live amongst them, I will guarantee you, you will sh I'll show you the most blessed of all people. I don't care what their circumstances are. Through the deepest loss, the greatest pain, it won't matter. I'll tell you, there is the person who has a blessed life. Well, our prophecy says that Jesus is the one who can bring us all of those. So let me suggest, as we put up a, just a one-for-one one here on it, the various needs that we have are guidance, strength, security, and peace. And then Jesus is, one, the wonderful counselor, guidance. He's the one that shows us the plan or the way to get from where we are to where we need to be. Mighty God, there's strength. Uh, how are we going to find strength? Well, we need a mighty God. In other words, we, just, we don't just need a plan to get out of our predicament, whatever it may be. In this sense, it's sin. If it's in any other rescue, we're in a predicament. We need a plan. How do I get out of this problem? Well, you need somebody strong enough. There's the, the strength need. That means there's somebody, it needs to be somebody who can come along and is capable not just willing, but capable of the rescue. He says that's Jesus, the mighty God. Security in any situation where there's, there's capture and you've got, you're needing release, okay, you've got somebody with a plan and they're, they're capable of pulling off the plan, but if they don't care about you enough, maybe they don't want to take the risk that comes to themselves, the pain, the struggle, the time, and they leave you there and forget you. Well, that's not going to help us. So what we need, we need an everlasting father so we can be secure that he is going to rescue us. And then last, the prince of peace. 
What happens when someone is finally rescued and has these other three? There's going to be a sense of peace because there is deliverance, and that comes from the Prince of Peace. Now, having kind of reviewed that, I want to give you now, I did a devotional teaching on Christmas Eve. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to take you into a, a deeper teaching and understanding of what's going on here. And to do that, you really need to study the context of the text. Every text is in the, the con, within the context of a bigger story. So we want to understand what is going on when this verse comes out to us. Most of us have only heard it at Christmas and it's the standalone verse, verse 6. So I'm going to give you an outline, a very simple three-point outline that will help you understand the context. But before I do that, I want to give you the historical side of it. Here's the history behind it all. The history is pretty complicated. In fact, it's really complicated. In fact, if I gave you the history to read, which I have studied through graduate school and had to you know, learn all this and still you forget it and then you go back and you learn it again, you still forget. So I said, you know what, it's so complex, I'm going to try to make it simple. Here is my shot at making a few hundred years of complex history a little simpler to you from the Bible, all right? I'm going to put up four primary words. On the left, you've got Assyria at the top and at the bottom you have Babylon. These are the bad guys. All right? These are not the friends of God's people. They're the ones that are going to come in and capture the people of God. Now, for 200 years, the northern kingdom of Israel has been rebelling in an ugly way through 19 different kings. Now, you need to know that the people of God, which is known as Israel, and if you think of the map of Israel today, there were tribes at the north and tribes at the south, and the southern tribes were known as Judah. So on the right side, I have Israel at the top, Judah at the bottom. Now, Judah were, the people of Judah were a little bit more faithful, a little bit longer than the people of Israel. But both camps really began to go away from God. You still with me? All right. Here's what happens. And notice a way to remember this. Well, I'll come back and, and help you. Well, I'll say this. I-J, if you want to remember which is the northern kingdom between Israel and, and Judah, just go with the alphabet. All right? I and J. Who gave Israel the big problem? Assyria. A. Go down to B. Who gave Judah the great problem? Babylon. So that'll help you kind of remember that. Okay? You still with me? Okay, now we get a little bit more complicated, all right? Here's what happens so you can understand our text. Assyria decides to invade Israel. So when that happens, Israel says, uh-oh, got problems, need help. They shouldn't do that. They should say, God, you're our helper. We're going to call upon you for everything we need right now which is the same thing you and I are supposed to do as Christians. And what do you and I do? We say, well, my money will deliver me. My friends will deliver me. My best efforts will deliver me. Whatever the issue is, we, we go our own plan. He says, no, 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 no. Trust in me. Israel did not trust. Instead, they go, go to the people known as Syria. That's different from Assyria. Now, Syria, again, 
not the people of God at all. Of course, only Israel was the people of God. So they've made an alliance now with people they're not supposed to make an alliance with. But they think if we have that alliance, then we're going to be strong and we'll be able to protect ourselves. We don't have to trust in God so much. Then they decided, well, why don't we add Judah? So they asked Judah, would, would you come join us? Judah says, don't want any part of you. No, no, no. So what happens is, let's take the line down now. Israel decides, okay, we're going to come in and invade Judah. Judah says, you know what? We're not going to just trust God. That, that's just not what we're going to do. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to Egypt. And we'll say, Egypt, would you help us? So they, they, they form alliance there. Now, because of what's happening, Judah says, I think we're in trouble. So they go up here to Assyria and they say, look, we will be a vassal to you. That's another word for puppet, meaning that you're, gonna, you're not going to rule us. We'll have our own rule and our own people and we keep going, but, but we're kind of under you to protect us and we have to do some things for you. So they have this alliance, which is, again, a wrong thing to do. Are you still with me? Getting history 301 here, not 101, all right? Then Assyria says, okay, we invaded you earlier and just kind of threatened you. We didn't invade you, we just threatened you. Now let's invade. So they go in and they take over Israel. They capture Israel. Well, now Judah realizes what a bad guy Assyria is and says, uh-oh, we're breaking our alliance with you. And they paid them off with silver and gold. They literally bought their way out of the vassal relationship. So now they're back pretty much on their own. It's at this time where I stop right now. It's at this time that God sends Isaiah, who is a prophet, to Hezekiah, who is the king of Judah, and says, please urge your people to trust in God. Worse things are coming. You have got to trust in God. Don't put your trust in man. Well, when that happens, after that happens, Babylon invades and conquers Assyria and will later, in fact, come in and conquer Judah and take them captive. But this is the period right now where this text is inserted. It's during this time that Judah is experiencing relative peace. No one's invading. They're not being threatened, you know. But with that, their sin increases deeper and deeper and deeper and so the prophet has already said, your judgment is coming. You cannot live this way. You've got to live according to the rule of God. And so with the threat of that also comes a promise that though you're going to be going through the consequences of your sin, there is still hope for the people of God because there's going to be a great rescue and the great rescuer I'm going to tell you about now and Isaiah gives his prophecy. That's the word of hope coming to a people who are in despair because bad things are about to happen to them. He says, look, when you have bad things go on, 
Don't just live with bad things. Keep the hope of what you have. I think that's the story of the Christensen family. I mean, bad things, but there's hope. And that's the story of our text. Now, having, having simply given that, let me give you the outline of the text. And the outline of the text is threefold. It's not in your bulletin. But here would be the outline. First of all, the first five verses, the rescue is promised. And that's what the first five verses is about, that there is going to be a rescue. It's promised. So let's read the first verse. And it goes like this, and I'll explain it as we go. But there will be no more gloom. There's the anguish that they're in. For her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of Gentiles. Now, it's interesting to know here that the location that he's just described is where Jesus was born. It's where he fed the 5,000. It's where the transfiguration took place. I mean, there should be no question when we come to verse 6 who we're talking about here because he's saying there's going to be no more gloom because of what's going to happen in this region in the future. That's what's being said. Look at verses 2 and 3. The people who walk in darkness, and that's spiritual darkness and blindness, will see a great light, and that's going to be the deliverance. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Thou shalt multiply the nation, and that means prosper the nation, and that's the people of God. Thou shalt increase their gladness. They will be glad in thy presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So he's just, again, the prophecy, you can see it uh, building here when he talks about the great light, the deliverance, and the multiply of the nation, which is prosperity. All right, look at verses 4 and 5. For thou shalt break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor. Now, those words, yoke, staff, and rod, those words are referring to sin. He's going to break the power of sin. This is not a deliverance from Babylon in the future? Not at all. It's not a New Testament prediction of the deliverance from the Jewish people from Rome. No. He's talking about the oppressor, the one, the evil one, and the oppression that comes from our sin. And then he says, as at the battle of Midian, and that's an important point there. He says, as at the battle of Midian, if you know the Old Testament story, in Judges chapter 7, there's the story of, a, uh, of one of the, the judges named Gideon who is given the responsibility. He's kind of leading the, the charge in the battle. He says, he says, look, this is what I want you to do. God says to, to him, I want, you, I want you to go up against 32,000 people with only 300 soldiers. Now, think about being told that. Gideon had to strike his head and say, Lord, did I hear you correctly? You want me to go up against them with 300 and there's how many of them? 32,000? How are we going to beat them? I don't see a human plan that could be imagined that's going to do, that's going to work. 
And, of course, God is basically saying, that's right, I want you to trust in me. There is no human plan. Hmm. Just trust me in it. And it's a story of an incredible divine deliverance, which is a picture of what God's going to do for his people. So he uses that as an illustration as he mentions that. Then to finish the verse, it says, For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. And this is the picture of after the war is over and, and the fires are now burning all the, the, the death and the cloaks and the, all the stuff, the garments, everything that's there. It's really a sign of victory and peace. That's what happens when the war is over. You're cleaning up after the victory. He's saying that's what's going to happen. There is my, my promise of rescue. Now, he doesn't stop there. That's where the infamous verse 6 now comes in, which is literally what I'm going to call the rescue being described, or the rescuer being, being described. Verse 6 goes like this. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that is Messiah that's being described. So, having understood that, we can now put an end to it in verse 7 because this is the end of that basic portion that he's, he's speaking about. And here we see the rescue's result being described, and it goes like this. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Notice the increase of his government on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, two key words, from then on and forevermore. From that text, I would suggest that what we're seeing there is he is saying, look, here's the result. It's going to be an, it's going to be an expanding kingdom. I mean, his rule will not end. It will increase, as he says. He's saying it's going to be an equitable kingdom that's going to come. After Jesus has set up his reign, you watch what happens. There's going to be an equitable reign. He uses the words here, justice and righteousness. When those two come together, that's the beauty of all. And then he says it's going to be an eternal kingdom. The words there, from now on and even forever. So now we have the four different titles. And it won't take me but just a few minutes here to help you understand Wonderful Counselor. We'll look at it this week, and next week we'll take the next and the next, and we'll walk right through the four. But this whole idea of Wonderful Counselor, the word counselor is, is basically the word that we use to talk about plan provider. You go to a counselor to get a plan, to get out of your struggle, your pain, your situation, whatever it is. You go to a counselor. So there is the, the, the plan. It, literally, it's the person who helps us get unstuck. Then the word wonderful actually means marvelous or too high. And I suggested the other night you think of it as kind of out of this world, and it is. It's Jesus. He's the counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. Now, what I want to close with here are, and when I say close, there's still a few more minutes, but it's going to be fast. But oddly, this is the main part of the teaching out of this. And we made a little mistake in the bulletin. 
We didn't have but Friday open, the, you know, so we didn't have much time, and it, we had a little mistake here. You've got three points there that are the subpoints of the first major point. And there are three major points. And you're saying it's 1141. <laughs> you watch, all right? Here's the first. Here's the first. He gives us counsel by guiding us by being the way to God. He is the way to God. The giver of the plan is the plan. The one who shows the way is the way. What is the plan? Let's say it again. The plan is God saying, I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to pay for the penalty of your sin and in exchange, I'm going to give to you my full righteousness. You are going to be made absolutely righteous. He said, well, wait just a minute. You're made fully righteous? Yeah, well, how do you know if that's ever happened? Here's how you know if it's legit. You have a desire, a longing to live a righteous life. Please hear this. That does not mean, it does not mean that therefore, if I'm a real Christian, I live righteously in a big way all the time. No. What I'm about to say is going to sound contradictory if you don't get this point here. You can have the full righteousness of God, and for whatever reason, you're not in the truth enough, you're not around the right people enough, you're not using the power of the Holy Spirit enough, and next thing you know, you have the full righteousness of God. If you died this very minute, he'd stand up and say, you're as righteous as my son, but there will be a longing for that righteousness and an effort to gain that righteous living. And if that's not there, he says, that's an evidence that you're not really a person who's been made righteous. And he makes that really, really, really clear when Jesus comes along and here is the way as he's teaching and he says in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, we'll put it up and here's what it says. It says, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it? And there are your three little subpoints. They're in your, your bulletin. Very easy to say. Hey, this way it remains. It is the, I mean, it's narrow. It is narrow. And folks, it's not what we as a Christian community across this land has now come to that says, oh, the way has a huge opening to it. I mean, the gate is really, really big. That's true. The further you go, the narrower it gets. So, you know, might want to consider not going too deep because it gets pretty narrow. That's restrictive. It's not too fun. It's kind of, uh, you know. No, he says, uh-uh, it is narrow at the top and it stays narrow. Next thing he says here is relatively few travelers. Well, what's the common view today? Well, you know, if you're Protestant or you're Catholic and you really have a desire to be one of those, I mean, you know, then you, and you, know, you know, particularly if you made a prayer and you had some religious experiences, then, you, you know, you're a Christian. You're in there. You're just not, you know. It would make virtually everybody who's not Muslim or, or Jewish or, or Hindu or whatever, that would make yeah, everybody's there. The world beyond us, they go, and they say, well, really, everybody's in there if they want to be, you know. It doesn't matter what your religion is. 
But even in the Christian community, well, that's true, you can't put all of them, but, but if you really make, no, 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 no. He says there are going to be few travelers, not most people are traveling. No. And then he comes down, and he also says it leads to life. Life is different than death. Life has characteristics of life, such as new hopes, new dreams. As a Christian would hope and dream and live and design, it's a different life. In fact, for him to make sure that his readers understood what he was saying, do you know what he said at the end? He comes down to verse 23 or so, and he says, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Many who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, I will say to them, depart me. And they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons? Do we not perform any miracles in your name? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. It's not like, well, you were mine, now you're not. No, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. There's no righteousness coming out of the righteousness I put in you, showing I didn't put righteousness in you. It's, it's got to be coming out in some form, even if it's just the longing for and the effort after it. So he says, many will come to me, and they won't even. So it's a whole different understanding of the way. So he says, now look, folks, you've got to have a way to get out of your sin problem. And many of us here are under the condemnation of sin because we're not his children. And others of us are not under the condemnation of the sin, but we're under the grip of sin because we haven't learned the power. How do you get out of it? So he doesn't stop there. He says the second, the, uh, the second way he's our wonderful counselor is what we have is point two. He guides us by revealing the truth to us. Well, truth basically imparts freedom. That's the John 8, 32. You should know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I don't know how many of you are experiencing freedom, but it, it comes through truth. That's why you need the truth of God more and more and more, and you're really just saying, I need Jesus and what he has to say and what his Father has to say because he is the truth, Right? So he says, that's how I'm your wonderful counselor. I provide for you not only the plan, but I provide for you truth, which gives you freedom, which is what you want, which leads to the third and final piece, and that's he guides us by imparting the life of God. The life of God. Well, truth imparts freedom. Do you know what life imparts? Life imparts fellowship. Fellowship. How do we get fellowship with God? It comes through Jesus. He's the life, and life imparts fellowship. Let me just read uh, 1 John 1, 1 through 4. I have a whole bunch of scriptures I read last hour out of John, but I left off something at the end I want to save time for, so I'm just going to give you the 1 John text. John has talked over and over in his gospel, over and over about life and freedom and life and Jesus is life and Jesus is life. But now he writes in 1 John, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of what? Life. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have, and there's that word fellowship, 
fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. All He's saying is, when you meet Jesus, you get life. That's fellowship. When you meet Jesus, you get truth. There's freedom. And that's from the way, which is the plan of the gospel. He said, there, there's the truth that of all truth. Get that. Just get that and know that Jesus is the source of all we need. Then we understand John 10, 10. We said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. He guides us, and as he does, he gives us three different, I'm going to call it resources, and I do close with this. Use the resources God has given you. He says, here, Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus says to us, I'm yours. Take me. But he says, I got some resources that come with me. I'm the focal point. But know this, number one, his word. Get his word. I love the psalmist in Psalm 119 where he says, Your testimonies, O God, they are my counselors. Folks, we need some counsel. And some of us go in the wrong place to get it. Go to the Word. Would you start reading the Word? Maybe start with a two-year reading plan. Just for you to get started. There's one in the bookstore. You can buy papers for two bucks. And the one that I developed that I use, I'm using it now. I've used it for years and years. It's just it helps me read through the Bible in two years because I, I didn't like the one year. It's a little bit too much, too quickly. Go online and get it free. Slash Pope, Perimeter.org slash Pope. You can get it free online. But start reading the Bible. Very important. Number two, his people. He's given us people. He said, look, I've got people around available. They need to give to you, and you need to get from them. And therefore, he said, find people who are going to help you. We need accountable, accountable relationships. Find Christians that you can be helped. And then if you really want to go strong, find a qualified sponsor who will sponsor you. And just consider yourself an addiction to sin, and you need an accountable group. And then you need a sponsor to help you get out of your sin addictions. That's the best thing you can do. Get you some people around you who get in the Word with you. Get in a connect group to start with just to meet people. Eventually get in a journey group where you can really, really learn to get in the Word, how to get in the Word, how to grow up with an accountable sponsor or a, a, a qualified sponsor who can help you with your accountable group. And then lastly, he gives his spirit. Yeah, Jesus is who we've talked about, the four names. That's Jesus. But Jesus is... The triune God. There's three persons. Jesus is one of the three persons of the triune God. And he says, and I give to you my, my spirit to indwell you. And the spirit who indwells you will empower you. I won't read it now, but John 14, 16 through 17. Read that text. Note that down. And just see what he's given us in his spirit. He gives us his spirit so that we've got power so we don't have to rely on will power we work on his power and he says you take those resources and you go to Jesus let me tell you you have found all that you need
right then. So, some of us, some of us are on the wrong path. We don't have a plan. Some of us have been believing lies. Some of us have no freedom. We don't know what real fellowship with God's all about. This new year, I challenge you, find your plan. Find your counselor in the wonderful counselor and decide, I'm going to start looking at what he has to say, not what I feel. I'm going to see what he says, not what I think. And I'm going to start trusting, not in all the other things. I'm going to start trusting in him and see if I don't find freedom and fellowship. You see, everything you're going to read is going to take you back to Jesus, and you're going to see him ultimately on the cross, and you're going to see that that's the payment for your sin. And those of us that are Christians, we'll go back to the cross, and we'll see this incredible love, and you cannot resist the love that he offers, and you'll love him more and more. And that's what takes us into the cycle of, okay, now I've got these resources. I'm going to use the resources. We begin to grow. And the next thing you know, you're a family like we just heard about when I read. Tragedy will hit because God doesn't say, if you're righteous, no tragedy. No, he says, if you're righteous, then through tragedy, you'll find the fellowship, you'll find the truth, the freedom, the stuff you need to carry you through. Let's make this year one that we go to the wonderful counselor of what we need to find the plan. As we pray together, let's bow. Father in heaven, we pray now, would you grant us to do just that, to uh, look to your son Jesus, and Lord Jesus, you are. We admit you're the wonderful counselor, and we want to follow your plan as the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, may we trust you this day and through this year as we never have. Granted, we ask you now in the great name of Christ our Savior, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.